0: Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we're all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. (laughs) <laughs> we love you, Lord. So um, I'm, I'm a product of the, the 80s and 90s. Like a, a lot of you, you lived through the 80s and 90s and were proud of it. And, and I want to say that my people, the people of the 80s and 90s, we made some good contributions to this world. Like we, we really contributed some amazing things. Like we contributed ACDC. AC, no, they were a little bit earlier, but we, we, we did that. And, and we contributed, uh, uh, what else did we 80s people bring to this world? Cabbage Patch Kids. We, we brought the world Cabbage Patch Kids. Who would have thought of that? You know what else we brought to this world? I'll show you what we brought to the world. We brought to the world Cuffed Jeans with flannel on the inside. We did that. My people did that. They copied it in the 2000s, but uh, we did it first in the 80s. And I rocked that like the best of them. And I I enjoyed that. Anybody else? Did you ever have jeans where you rolled up the cuffs and you exposed some flannel on the inside? Just a few of us. And the idea was that there was something on the inside that you could uh, expose and let it be shown on the outside. And it was a, a, a great thing, except for the fact that that those jeans, at least the ones back in the day when, when we had them, the, the flannel only went up like two inches, and so you only had a tiny little bit of something on the inside to to show out to the world. Just a tiny bit, and, and if you and if you rolled up any further, it would it would be seen that it was just it was just a shallow little bit of flannel. But what what I, what I want to say to each one of you is. I hope that you and I, when it comes to our spiritual life, that we would have something on the inside that would be so thoroughgoing in all of our being, the work of God evident in every aspect of who we are, that from the inside to the out, there could be a demonstration of the work of God that shines through, through and through, because we are not holding anything back from him. And I'm praying that in this series called Inside Out, that we would take to heart what we're reading and seeing in Romans chapter 12. And I want you to turn there now to Romans chapter 12. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 12, I want to remind you that last week, we spent a good deal of time understanding that the the grace of God is the foundation for our our healthy experience of transformation. And we, 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 we are grounded in the grace of God, and we get to begin our journey there knowing that we're grounded in the grace of God. And I want to say something further about the grace of God. The grace of God does not mean God is just willing to overlook sin. The grace of God is really about God's desire to give you and me an empowerment to overcome sin. And, and I want us to take that to heart, because sometimes we get this idea that God just wants to have, you know, accept you just as you are, and that's fine, everything's fine. That is not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And, and so we need to l- let this be part of our expectation, that God is going to meet us where we are and then take us on a journey of transformation. It's what he longs to do and desires to do with each one of us. And... and we, we, in order to, to live into that, we need to respond to what we saw in Romans 12, 3, where it said, think of yourself with sober judgment. Do you remember that part of that uh, teaching last week? Think of yourself with sober judgment. And I've been thinking about that this week. What does it mean to think of myself with sober judgment? And, and, and for me, in my life, and from God's perspective, what I would have to do is understand what it says in Ephesians 2, chapter 1. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And if I think about myself with sober judgment, I have to kind of acknowledge, yes, that's that's true. (laughs) I was dead. I was walking around breathing air, but I was dead, spiritually dead, dead in my sin. And a dead person can't make themselves alive. Someone else has to come in and do something about that. And my God, my God saw me dead in my transgressions and sins, and he didn't leave me that way. He decided to come into this world and bring the power of his son Jesus to bear on my life and yours. And I'm never going to stop saying how grateful I am for the grace of God. But to really express my gratitude for his grace, I have to realize where he grabbed me from. And it was from death itself, from being dead. And I'm not going to let you off the hook either. I want you to sometimes think about the fact that, man, there was a way in which I was dead. And he rescued me. He grabbed hold of me. And he did it because he loved me. That's what the scripture teaches in Ephesians 2. It goes on in verse 4 and says those very words. In Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions say the last part with me out loud go it is by grace you have been saved it's by grace that you've been saved but but never lose sight what you've been saved from you see it it is by grace that you have been saved and I want to think about this for a moment because it's part of thinking about myself with sober judgment I was saved from the threat of hell I was saved from damnation. I was saved from darkness. I was saved from oppression. I was saved from staying stuck in sin. I was saved from being trapped in my transgressions. I was saved from evil. I was saved from the devil's clutches. I was saved from something. And to really take in the grace of God, I kind of sometimes remember, yes, I was saved by grace, but what was I saved from? I was saved from a whole bunch of evil from hell itself. But I was saved for heaven. I was saved for heaven. I was saved for the hope of eternal life in heaven, that I get to hope that when I die one day, I cross into the eternal Presence of my heavenly father in heaven forever. But also, I was saved for a life here on planet Earth marked by the power of heaven. I was saved for an experience of life on this planet knowing that I'm loved and allowing the love of God to flow into me and then flow through my life. I was saved for an experience of the kingdom of God in the here and now. I was saved for an experience of the body of Christ where I would encounter the love of Christ in a powerful way. I was saved for God's purposes to be lived out in and through my life. Somebody say amen. This is what we're saved for. We're saved from something, we're saved for something. And I I see this in the scripture, and it's in the verses that follow. It says in Romans 12, 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Okay, so we're, we're talking about the transformative work of the grace of God in our lives, we're understanding that God saved us from sin and hell and the devil and everything else, but he saved us for an experience of his kingdom and for inclusion into his body. And when we talk about his body, what we're talking about is a context of connection in which his grace is meant to be demonstrated. So, so Colossians 1.18 says this, it says, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. Back to the beginning of verse 18. One more time. It says, say this part with me. Ready? Go. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Okay, we'll stop there and pause. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. So what we're being introduced to in, in this scripture is the metaphor of the body. To describe the church. As we read the scriptures, we find that the church, you and me together as the collective people of God, there are a lot of metaphors to describe us as the church. Uh, we're described as as sheep and as a flock, and we're described as the bride of Christ, and we're described as a building. Yes, a building, and we're described, but it's the building of God, and we're described as the temple of God. And we're described as the family of God. We're described as the household of God. We're described as the house of God. And in the New Testament, the dominant metaphor that's used is that we are described, the church is described as the body. Everybody say the body. The body. body. And I wonder if maybe one of the reasons why Holy Spirit has inspired the word of God to reflect the body is the dominant metaphor is because it's such a great one. Because when you think about a body, there's so many different parts. It's so obvious that they have to work together and the body can get sick and the body needs the right kind of nutrition and all of that. It just never ends, the, the, the goodness of that metaphor. But I want us to capture today a sense of what it means for us. And so back to verse 5 one more time. It says, so in Christ... Actually, why don't you read this one out loud with me? Ready, go. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. I do think that this is one of the areas of a a spiritual life, a real life in following Jesus, that maybe sometimes we underestimate. And I think God is wanting to call each one of us to a deeper place in living into and experiencing the effect and the truth of this statement, that each member belongs to all the others. Just say that one more time. Each member belongs to all the others. Say it. Each member belongs to all the others. I want you to just look around this room right now. Just look around and and see the other people who are here. And and I want you to just look at somebody and and lock eyes on someone right now until it gets a little bit awkward. And then say to them, you belong to me. Just say it like that. (laughs) Okay, you don't have to say it with creeper status voice. You don't have to do that. But the truth is, what we just said is the truth. We belong to each other. From God's perspective, this is the way he envisions it, that we would understand that we do, in fact, belong to each other. And I don't know if maybe some of us need to step a little bit further into this reality. You know, one of the, the, uh, the road trips that, that we took as a family a few years ago that, that I always love is we did a trip up to Yosemite and uh, Napa Valley and then over to Santa Cruz and then uh, through the, grand, you know, the Sequoia National Park. And, and you know what was amazing? When we visited the Sequoias, I learned some things about those trees. I mean, they're immense. They're amazing. And I learned that some of those trees are more than 1,500 years old. That alone is kind of mind-blowing. And, and those trees are 250 feet tall, and if you can just imagine how many storms they've lived through, one after another, right? Torrential downfalls, hurricanes, whatever else, snow, and, and, and they, just, they just keep growing, 250 feet tall. And you think, man, 250 feet tall, those suckers must have roots that go down hundreds of feet, except what I learned on that road trip is that these trees have roots that only go down six to 10 feet. That's it. But underneath the ground, the the roots network one with another underneath, reaching from one side of the forest all the way to the next, and they're still studying what's actually happening in that interconnected root system. And the trees that are right next to each other interlock at the root level with something that's almost like a knot And then when you see some visualization of that, then you begin to understand how those trees can come to be 250 feet tall and 1,500 years old, right, because of what's happening underground and how they're connecting with one another to provide support that lets the others stand tall. And I think you can see where I'm going with this. That God's looking at you and me as his body. And when we read the words, and each member belongs to one another, it has an implication. It means that you and me need to begin to see ourselves like those trees and say, all right. (laughs) We need to find ways to allow our roots to extend into an interconnection with one another the way God envisioned it. And and maybe you're already there. Or maybe there's some ways in which you, you need to grow in allowing your roots to interconnect in this way. But Romans 12, 5, again, it says, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. i just pause there for a minute again. Each member belongs to all the others. Can you imagine from God's perspective as he views planet Earth, there's something like 2.4 billion people that profess some kind of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe I wouldn't personally agree with every last one of them to exactly how they profess that faith, but two and a half, almost two and a half billion people that somehow profess their faith in Jesus. And from God's perspective, there's one body despite all of the lines of demarcation that we might want to make to cut each other up and and, and we organize ourselves in all kinds of different ways and and there is in fact one body around the whole entire planet, one body of believers who profess faith in Jesus and yet God, backed up by the scripture, allows there to be individual local church communities that express that one body. And, you know, some of us, we gather uh, in, in a certain setting because we like, you know, loud music with guitars and drums and lights. And others of us would prefer, you know, quiet piano and some flutes or something. Okay. And some of us want to have a, you know, a a, a place where we can, you know, shout loud about Calvinism because we love Calvinism. Or some of us just like, like, we don't care. We just like Calvin and Hobbes and it just doesn't even matter. Others of us, we like to be in a church where there's, you know, lots of experience of the Holy Spirit, kind of like in the Bible. And others of us prefer to have a little gathering where there isn't a lot of bother about the Holy Spirit. Not like the Bible. But anyway, we, we might have to have a different kind of an experience depending on some of our preferences. But at the core, God has a good design, and it's for believers in Jesus to find a community of strength and support that would allow the growth to happen that He has in mind. And it is our connection with each other where we get to live. Out what he has placed on the inside of us. Everybody say inside out. out. And here we're moving in this series from simply the work of internal transformation to the outworking of that transformation in real time. And let me go back to Romans 12, 5 and 6 one more time. It said, So in Christ, we though many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. I asked you last week to consider the ways in which God has placed his grace on your life and and to recognize that each one of us carries a grace upon our lives, a grace to, to do something in this world that brings value, that adds goodness somewhere in the community, and also the grace of God that is on your life is meant to be lived out and expressed in the context of the connection of the church body in such a way that it adds to the strengthening of the church. I'll show you why that's true. It, it is in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, this is further described, and it says it like this. It says, now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, And their responsibility is to do all of the ministry so that everyone else can sit back and chill and watch it all happen. And no, that's not the verse. Whoops. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, say these three words out loud, or four words, ready? Mature in the Lord so that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I believe that God is revealing in his word, both in Romans here and in Ephesians 4, that the church matters. That the church is God's chosen instrument in which he will do the deepest work in the transformation of your soul, in knowing and loving his son Jesus. Did you you read the verse? This is what God envisions, is that you would be transformed and grown up to a point that you would be regarded as mature in the Lord. But the context from a biblical point of view where that's going to happen is the the church, the body of Christ. And and I want us to take this to heart because because it's important that we we have some kind of a framework of expectation, Do you know how God is likely to do the growing in your life that would lead to you becoming mature in the Lord? I think he might be doing it by allowing you to encounter in the church some challenging people that really try your patience, to be thrown into a group with some people that, hey, you just don't know how to communicate with them, (laughs) Uh, to be having to do life with some people that you just wish that you didn't have to because uh, they're they're not the same as you. I think God's going to probably do some strengthening and bringing you to maturity in the Lord by allowing you to experience disappointments and, and challenges and difficulties in the body of Christ, moments that push you. You, You're going to hear somebody praying in tongues or prophesying and you're going to go, oh my gosh, that just really makes me uncomfortable. Guess what? You're probably growing. You're going to be in an environment where some leader says, I want you to be a part of this team and and yeah, I'm sorry, you're going to need to stay a little bit later because we're not done yet. And you're going to go, oh, that's that's stretching me further than I wanted to go. Guess what? You're probably growing. I believe God's going to do the greatest growing in your life through the church, but it's not going to be because, oh, they're always just saying the sermons I want to hear, and oh, look, they're singing our song again. Not necessarily that way. He's going to do it through the challenges and the difficulties that some of you are well acquainted with already (laughs) that sometimes come up in the church body. But you know, I was, I was sitting with a brother a couple days ago who was describing to me how his family members, uh, several of them, have um, stopped being part of the church and then uh, ended up losing their faith. And there is a direct correlation. I, I do believe that God wants for his church to be the place where a connection is established, like that picture of those roots, where you are provided with some strength and sustenance that you will not get on your own. And the, the God of the Bible is showing you in me that his church matters to him dearly. And it is his preferred delivery mechanism for the nutrients, the spiritual nutrients that he intends for you to have so that you may grow. And he has invited you to stick with it. I know that it is easy to, you know, to start thinking about leaving. church and maybe you're a guest here tonight and you're a part of a different church and I want you to think about this I get it 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 can be easy to feel like I just want to leave because uh, they just got too political on me or they didn't get political enough on me or I'm just so tired of hearing that pastor share those silly analogies about his home renovations again yes I've gotten that one I I understand it's challenging for some (laughs) people but For one reason or another, we can find ourselves in those moments where it's just like, I just want to leave. I just want to leave the church. Okay, so if you're thinking about doing that, I would urge you, before you leave your church, to check in with the one who's the head of the church. And I'm certainly not talking about me or any other pastor. I'm talking about Jesus, who the scripture said is the head of the church. And you ask him, you say, Jesus, I just want to leave this church because I'm just frustrated because they're not getting political enough. Can I leave? I think Jesus might have some words for you about that. Jesus, I want to just leave this church, Jesus, because uh, I I just—they're not—they're not—they're not not singing my songs that I like. (laughs) Jesus, can I leave? Oh, sure. You know what? That makes a lot of sense to me. Why don't you go on down to that church down the road? I mean. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think that maybe Jesus might be calling you to something higher, a greater standard that would lead to uh, greater growth in your life. But before you leave, this is what I'm asking you to do. Before you leave your church, this one or whatever one you might be a part of, check in with the one who's the head of it. If he gives you the release, by all means, go with his leading. But if it's just because of your own flesh being bothered, by a brother or sister or by something that you heard in a message, that's probably not the right reason to go. So, so let me take this a little further. Like, if you stopped going to the gym and you told me about it, and I, and I asked, well, why did you stop going to the gym? And you started saying something like, oh, well, the thing is because I didn't, that gym was a bad gym because I, my muscles would hurt the next day every time after I went there. Like, especially on the legs. Like, I couldn't even get out of bed the next day. They, they, that gym is a bad gym because my muscles were sore. I would say, oh, I, I don't know. It sounds like it was a pretty good gym. <laughs> or take it another step further. If, If you talk about you going to the gym, but all you do really is you kind of stand in the back and lean up against the wall and watch everybody else working out. Did you really go to the gym? (laughs) There's a way in which I think all of us need to take some steps into maturity when it comes to our connection with the body of Christ and to take our place within it. And I want to keep reading here because I think this is the word of God to each one of us in Romans 12, 6. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I mean, you get the upshot of this, right? I don't know that what we must do with this verse is dive into a deep uh, exegesis of each of the Greek words. But instead, I just hope you catch the spirit, the upshot of it, which is do your part. You catch that, right? Do your part. And this isn't the sermon where I dive into the 21 different spiritual gifts or 28, depending on how you, how you mince the words I mean, and yes, First you know, Peter four nine through eleven, and and First Corinthians twelve, and First Corinthians fourteen, and Ephesians four, and here in Romans eight, you can divvy them all out and create lists of the gifts. But, but really, what what I think that the heart of God is 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 whether you think there's seventeen gifts or eighteen gifts or twenty one or twenty eight. The point is, use them. What, what grace did God put in you, and what are you doing with it? And I think maybe for some of us it's gotta come to the point where, like the Apostle Paul, we would say, you know, I don't even know what name you want to give the thing that is happening to me right now, but what I'll tell you is this: Philippians 2.13, he said, It is God's mighty power that is at work within me to will and to act according to his good pleasure. You can call it whichever name of gift and category of gift you want, but that's what's happening, is it's God's mighty power at work within me to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And you know what his good pleasure is? Building up the church. That's revealed in his word, he cares passionately that this thing that we're doing, gathering together, because of the health that it can create in so many people's lives, he's passionate about it. But it doesn't happen without your active engagement And it's always going to be a choice for you. It's always going to be up to you. Nobody's going to twist your arm. You're not a puppet, and God's not going to pull any strings on you. It's up to you to decide, no, this matters. I'm going to make time for it. I'm going to be sure to do what I can to engage my gifts to enhance the church. I'll engage my gifts to enhance the church church. I'll engage my gifts to enhance the church. Say it. I'll engage my gifts to enhance the church. That's how I want to live my life. Because it's in his word. It's what he's revealed as something that matters to him. And I'm so grateful that in this body, there's so many of you who do it. So many saints of God who just say, yes, I'll step up. Case in point, I won't call any names, but you know, during baptisms tonight, there's one sister who you didn't even see, but she's hiding behind the curtain back there. She came early and she's still late. But she's going up there to be able to just hold a towel for the person coming out of the baptism tank. And that's a, a simple way of saying, I'll use my gifts. I'm ready to help and serve. Here I am. God worked through me. And if it means holding a towel, let me do that. <laughs> but what are you gonna do? How can you engage your gifts? Do you know for our Sunday night service, because we don't have as many people on a Sunday night, but we still want the experience to feel warm and cozy for everybody, we decided a while back that, well, actually, I sort of just said, this is what I'd really like us to do, put this black curtain up in the back. Do you know that it takes like 10 people to put that thing up? But you know what happens at the 11 o'clock service? And if you come only at the five, you don't even know this, but there's a crew of dudes and a few ladies that they just, they go in the back of the closet, they get it, and it takes them like half an hour. They're setting up poles or putting up drapes. Why? To serve the body of Christ. It's just an amazing thing. We could go on and on. But the good things of God's house happen when God's people step up and make it happen. And I pray that you would do what you can. For me, one of the greatest turning points in my life happened in this kind of a thing. I, I, was, uh, I was a student at, at, at Rutgers University, and I had moved to New Brunswick, and um, I moved to a new apartment over there, and I didn't have a car at the time, and so I needed to find a church nearby that I could ride my bike to. I was 20, just turning 21, and uh, I found this little church. It was, you know, I don't know, 60 people or so, maybe 75 people on a holiday, and um, They had something called a coffee hour after church every weekend. Anybody uh, ever go to coffee hour at church? This is like an old terminology. But we'd go to coffee hour in the fellowship hall. And I was in there hanging out with the adults, drinking bad coffee. And out of the corner of my eye, I see, you know, there's there's four or five teenagers from the church that were just sitting on the steps, the concrete steps of that church building. And I went out there and just started asking questions, what are you guys doing, and why are you just hanging out here? And I quickly learned that the church didn't have any kind of a youth group, and they were just there because their parents were forcing them to go to church on a Sunday, that kind of thing. And and I just kind of took it in, but it was kind of messing with me a little bit after I went home. And the next week, I, I went to that coffee hour again, drank more of that bad coffee again, and then looked out of the door again, saw the kids that are sitting on the steps, and I just... Decided to, to take take my Bible and walk over to the kids that were sitting on the steps and said, hey, you know, since you, you, your parents are here anyway and you're kind of stuck, would you guys want to just open up the Bible with me and we can just uh, read some scripture together? And it was awkward. I mean, they were giggling kind of like, what, what, the, what, are you, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, 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 watch. We're just going to open the Bible and I'll show you what I can show you. And we just, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I just figured... It just seems like the right thing to do. And we're sitting there and I opened to the gospel of John and said, let's just start there. And we'll just, we did it that week and... And we did it the next week, and, and, and you know, four or five weeks in, now there's, I don't know, seven or so kids that are coming and sitting on the steps with me, and we're reading through the Gospel of John. And, and then it was like, hey, why don't we do this on a Friday night and, and really have our own time? And we started doing it on Friday night, and seven, eight kids, nine kids. And then there was this thing on the radio, this guy Ron Hutchcraft was throwing a concert called The Blaze, and it was an outreach deal. And it said, all the youth groups are invited. And I was like, well, I don't know what this is with the eight of us, I don't know, but it's a group in your youth, so it sounds like we're invited, and so let's go. Why don't you all invite somebody? And we ended up bringing more than 20 kids to the, the Blaze concert, two or three Dodge you know, Voyager minivans <laughs> loaded up, rolling on to the concert, and, and, and man, it, it was such a cool experience to see what was happening there. And, and then uh, a couple weeks after that, uh, on a Sunday, I, I went into that coffee hour after church, and... And I was drinking some of that bad coffee. And, uh, and I, I saw a family talking to the pastor. And they must have asked some kind of a question like, well, what does this church do for youth? <laughs> it's a, a question as old as time, right? But, but uh, the next thing that happened was that Claudia, the pastor, she looked over at me and said, come here. She said, well, why don't you ask John? He's our youth pastor. And she looked at me with her eyebrows raised and then kind of winked at me because uh, we had never talked about that. It was just a thing, you know, and all I knew is I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that there was these kids and, and I guess I had a gift of faith and I guess I had a little bit of gift of leadership and apparently a gift in pastoring, lo and behold. And, and for me, it was this turning point, like just stepping up and doing what I could to engage my gift to enhance the church. It, it ended up becoming something that changed the directory and the trajectory of my entire life. And you just never know what God might do in you when you step up to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And watch how he might bless you and others through you as you do. I I think about the outreach that we did three weeks ago in Lake Elsinore. And that nearly 400 kids that needed new shoes for school, that waited in line from the time when the sun came up until 11 when we started handing out the shoes... Got them, nearly 400. And at the core of that was, was one brother in our church that personally brought almost 90 pairs of vans. Well, I mean, crazy, amazing, glory to God kind of thing. But amazing things happen when we say our yes to God in the context of his church body. What an amazing thing. But listen, I, I want to I wanna conclude with this. I read this verse already, but I want to just make sure it's clear to everybody. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it said, because, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved It is by grace that you've been saved. Keeping that verse on the screen for a moment, it is by grace that you've been saved. How many of you, you read those words and you go, you know what? I know that's true in my life. I've been saved by the grace of God through Jesus. Just raise your hand. And just would you right now say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And and never hold back on your gratitude to God for what he's done in saving you. Never hold back your affection for him for what he's done in saving you. Never hold back on your adoration for God, for what he's done to set you free from the law of sin and death and to bring you into eternal life. Just let the gratitude flow. Let the adoration flow. Let your worship continually flow, because what he did for you is worth it, don't you think? It is by grace that you've been saved. And I also know this. There's probably a number of us who are here now who would say, I don't even know if if that counts for me or not and maybe you find yourself wondering where you stand with God, and you don't know if you're right with God, and you feel like a little bit like somebody on the outside looking in. Now I wanna say, the door is wide open. The door is Jesus. He actually said that about himself. He said, I am the door. And, and, and by describing himself this way, he, he, he's issuing an invitation for your entry. And for somebody tonight, this is your opportunity once and for all to come through the door and to come into, to come into the family of God, to come into the body of Christ, to also be able to say, I am saved by grace. And God isn't looking around, you know, waiting for you to, to somehow finally clean yourself up enough to deserve grace scrap of his mercy. Not at all. He has already determined from all eternity that you were worth paying the price for. And he sent his son to pay that price so that justice could be served and so that you could lawfully be totally forgiven and saved forever by his grace. And now this gift is something that he offers to you. He doesn't force it on you, but he offers it. And a gift is something that at some point has got to be received. And if you've never received it, I plead with you that tonight would be the night you would once and for all say, I receive it, the gift of God in Jesus Christ, his grace, the gift of eternal life. And so would you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, I pray that right now we would experience a spiritual awakening in this time. That for some of us, we, we, we who have been believers for a while would experience an awakening to the value of the body of Christ Christ. And that we would not go with the flow of the current day that says, "Eh, just walk away from that. But instead that we would say, no, no, this is the body of Christ and I I will be a part of it being built up. God, I pray for a release of that thought into every one of our hearts. To value that which you poured out your very blood to save. The bride of Christ, the blood of Jesus poured out to save each one of us as the body of christ i pray father that you would give us a a, a, then in following a willingness to say and i will engage my gifts to enhance the church god i i pray also for an awakening for somebody while we're just praying together there's probably somebody here tonight that the, the deepest need of your heart is to know that your sins are forgiven and that you are right with God because you finally said yes to Jesus. And if that's never happened for you, this is the moment where it can. In this moment in time, you could once and for all say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you and I give you my life. And he, in turn, will give you his. His resurrection life to lift you up, to allow you to live a new kind of way. And so while we're praying together, Father, I pray for a spiritual awakening for somebody. And that in this moment, once and for all, uh, there could be a new life in Jesus kind of a moment that would happen. While we're praying together, if you're sitting here saying, I need to do that. I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to ask that he would forgive my sins and save my life. I want to know that I have a home in heaven and that I'm right with God because of the grace of God. If that's you, if you would say, I want that, I want to come through that door you were talking about, then if that's you right now, I want you to raise your hand with me in this moment. Raise it high and don't hold back. For somebody, this is it. This is the moment in your life where you are finally saying, Jesus, I want to ask for your forgiveness of my sins and your gift of eternal life and salvation for my soul. And I want you to raise your hand, hide with me, and pray with me in this moment and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I recognize that you gave your life for me. Jesus, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, I'm yours. From this moment on, Jesus Christ, I believe in you and in your resurrection and I'm yours and you're my Lord and my savior from this moment on. Thank you for that gift of new life, I receive it now. Thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I want you to all stand up together and as you're standing up, I want you to just simply uh, take take stock of what you've heard today. In in Romans 12, we're the body, we belong to each other and God's put his grace in us in lots of different ways. And we're meant to let that grace flow through us so that the body gets strengthened. And I commission you now, in Jesus' name, to take your place in the body of Christ, using your gift and your ability to see that the body of Christ, the church, would get strengthened. If you need somebody to be praying for you tonight, I want you to come to the front and let someone pray for you. And in this moment, would you consider just saying with me, Heavenly Father, I commit to engaging my gifts to enhance the church. Heavenly Father, I commit to engaging my gifts to enhance the church. In Jesus' name. If you're going to grab some friends and start a group or you want to figure out how we're going to do that together, I want you to join me and Pastor Daryl in the chapel for a 10-minute Small group leader and new leader huddle. We're gathering up together. We'll get you started. Otherwise, God bless you and go and grow in his grace. Come up front if you need prayer.